HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. When I was running down my culinary goal, I had hoped to head a New York City kitchen by the time I was 30. It seemed ambitious at the time and I was equally proud once achieved, but it pales in comparison to the drive and success of today's guests. She can proudly say that she's the owner of three restaurants for the fourth on the way, all at that same young age of 30. Our guest today is Amelie King of The Mala Project. At 23, Amelie opened the first location of Mala Project in the East Village, which Alex and I have had the pleasure of dining at. It's absolutely delicious. Um, sharing the originality of her hometown Chinese cuisine and has since opened two more locations, one in Bryant Park in New York City and the other in Midtown East, also in New York, with a fourth opening in Greenpoint, Brooklyn in November-ish, which we'll get the scoop on. Um so welcome to the show. We're excited to chat about your journey so far. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex and Jenny. Thanks for having me. So tell us about tell us about Mala Project for our guests who maybe are aren't as familiar with your brand and your restaurants and um, you know where you are today and what you're working on with restaurant number four. Sure. Uh, Mala Project is a Sichuanese uh, restaurant, and our specialty is something called Mala Dry Pot. Essentially, it's a communal pot, and the customers can design their own pot uh, by choosing different ingredients of their liking, including um, sliced beef for lamb or chicken. And there's a, a ton of vegetables like uh, lotus root, bok choy, chinese cabbage, or some more uh, fun stuff like uh, frog legs or fish cakes um, and a lot of tofu pockets and uh, firm tofu like that. And Typically, it can be shared by um, a group of three or four people, or you can just have a pot by yourself for as a, a quick lunch uh, solution. Um, so we started our first location in the East Village, and we expanded to Midtown West, which is on 46th Street and 6th Avenue. And then uh, last November, we opened our third location, on 53rd Street and uh, 3rd Avenue. Um, finally, we're 
going to Brooklyn, which is where I live as well. Um, we're going to be in Greenpoint. And unfortunately, our timeline got delayed, as it always does. And um, the projected opening now is uh, mid-January. Um, but, you know, it's going to be here pretty soon. A perfect winter food to warm you up in the middle of January. Yeah. It's even better timing after the new year, too. Um, and how, so this is your fourth location. So you're, obviously, there's probably been a lot of lessons learned from one to four. Can you share some of some of what you've learned, what's changed, um, all those kind of good things? Share yeah. with us your wisdom. Uh, um, well, I think when we started our first location, it was definitely, we had no idea what we were doing and we were so, um, just, it was, uh, in, um, a learning process. And I really, now looking back, I really didn't have time to think long-term or I, I was just trying to, you know, figure things out as we go in terms of what kind of bricks we need to buy or how does the ventilation work um and on top of hiring and then later on you know menu testing um and it actually took us a, a year to open our first location uh due to our landmark uh um, our landmark permit so um but I guess it was a blessing in disguise so that we actually had a whole year to prepare for our very first project. And very, very luckily, we got a warm welcome from our diners and the community was just so supportive. And I think the dry pot itself is such a fun and flavorful dish that, you know, many people can really, uh, they really, really love. So, um we we did take off and I think it was it could have been how young our I was and our team was it could have gone a lot a lot worse but we you know we were very fortunate to 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 have a successful project um and then as we were expanding we really uh didn't expand as like we we didn't really think about scalability in the sense of running a business where we're just treating each location as its own project. Um, so, so as we were opening the second one, we made sure the, the interior, the interior design is different from the first one. And so did the third one and our fourth one. So every location we try to focus on the community and the neighborhood. Um, and we, that shows up in our interior design or like the floor plan, um, so I think that was a very, um, like it, it, it was a good mentality. So we're not in the process of expanding. We're not losing our uniqueness. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Emily, you said, you mentioned that the, um, the landmark permit process slowed you down on the first opening. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you, how did you overcome that? Did you, you know, did you just have to wait for permitting or how did yeah. you guys move past that? Well, I actually didn't know about Landmark and uh, when we signed the lease and then we realized, oh, it was actually a Landmark building. And it turns out that, you know, it's going to take four months for us to be able to start construction. And there was uh, really nothing to do. And so I ended up uh, bartending um, at a, 
Um, now it's, it's, it's gone now, but it was called B-flat, um, a very nice Japanese jazz bar. I was bartending there and I applied to a couple of jobs to, uh, to spend my time and meanwhile trying to learn. Um, and obviously, but I was so naive and I was just telling everyone that I'm working, you know, I'm working on my own restaurant. I'm just here for two months. I'm, I want to learn. And um, as expected, I didn't get a lot of um, acceptance except for this bar. So I, it was a very good experience. I, I, I was able to spend my time there. Um, but in terms of the restaurant, you know, we were, we were lucky that our landlord was helping us. Um, but besides waiting, there was really nothing you can do. Um, and I think we were kind of going crazy when you are, when there is nothing you can do, um, you just kind of sit there and like thinking, oh my God, what's, what's happening? Um, but luckily we came through. I appreciate that, that feedback. Cause I feel like it does happen a lot where things get delayed and especially as a first time restaurateur, it's, I think it's interesting and and smart that you kept yourself busy and, and we're, we're still at work rather than, than continuing to work on something that really had to just essentially hold. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's really, it, 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 it's so much worse. You already have a project that's, that's idle and you can't um, open, you're not meeting the deadline, but also your, your stress level keeps rising. Um, so it's just important to just try to stay sane and keep a clear head, um, not get too stressed out about what's, you know, there's about things that's out of your control. Yep. It's just, yeah, it's always like, <laughs> try to let go of the stuff you can't control. It's very hard to do, but yeah. sometimes you just have to remind yourself to do it. It's like a great, it's, yeah, it's a great mantra. Um, <laughs> So did, and were you able to negotiate rent with the landlord for the landmark status situation or were you guys having to pay rent that full time? We did have to pay. I honestly can't even remember exactly um, how many months. I think it was three months. Back then it was three months free. And later on it became six months free as the norm. Um, our landlord is very supportive. However, they're a... Um, nonprofit organization so there's not much they can do in terms of helping us with our rent because it's already pretty low i would assume that your second and third locations are not in uh landmark buildings nope <laughs> <laughs> definitely a question to ask at the yep. least setting any other surprises about that first uh that first restaurant opening yeah i think i made a huge mistake in terms of um i the construction I hired my contractor were was not very hand, like not very responsible. So there was a lot of you know going back and fixing things right after we open. And um, I definitely chose the cheapest construction team. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think like moving forward, I made sure our our GC is very responsible and just a good you know good people. Um, but yeah, I think luckily we didn't have, besides those two things, um, everything else were actually not too bad. You mentioned that you, you approach some aspects of, um, 
aspect like of of expanding like you weren't a part of a restaurant group and some like you have so tell us a little bit about that how have you like systematized and used your you know used your scaling to make things more efficient as you've kept going um one thing we I think I'm pretty nerdy about is the system and um, that includes our operation system and our training system. Um, I I think I may sometimes carry it too far in terms of too paying too much attention on the details, but I I do want to, when, um, when we first started, I, I wanted to make sure, okay, all the chopsticks are put a certain way and, um, we're setting down the menu a certain way. And I think, that part of that is because my background from the CIA and that was all how the fine dining restaurants were training. Um, and us being a fine, uh, I guess you can call it a fun, casual restaurant. You, you actually don't have to be so anal about those things, but there are <laughs> certain things that um, sh- we should keep a good system. Um, for example, our onboarding system or how do we select our people, um, our new hire and what kind of playlists that we create. And honestly, um, in the past six or seven years of, um, us trying to run three restaurants and like keeping our heads above the water, we, we kind of lost that system from the first location. And now um, as we're going to the fourth, uh, I spent, we, we really spent this whole year and probably it's going to be first couple of months in the next year, um, put a lot of effort on building this system, the operation system. And so now we're writing our operation manual. And I, you know, you also have to make sure that it's understandable and easy to use and, um, so that is, I think that's taking a lot of, a lot of effort, but it's going to be worth it. And I can see once we do have this operation manual, um, we can even further clean things up and systemize things further. Um, so I think although we're running each restaurant, treating them as like a neighborhood spot, um, certain things has to be consistent and it, it will benefit us from like in, in the scaling process. It's always the unsexy stuff that, you know, takes time, but actually makes things better and more efficient. So yeah. I, I also really appreciate that. And sounds like, so it's, it's interesting, the locations you guys have picked out and, um, you know, obviously in restaurant business location is, it's, it's everything. It's your business. So tell us about your real estate strategy and, how you how you ended up in the spots you did? Yeah, um, our first location we were looking at an NYU. Although surprisingly, when we after we opened, we didn't have a lot of customers from NYU. It was actually a lot of um, just people maybe in their thirties and a lot of New Yorker readers, and that was because of um, our PR strategy. But um, later on, we got a lot of uh, you know young hip. Um, customers just customers of all age started coming into East Village as East Village started to also uh, evolve into this more like a mature and a busy area. Our second one, we tried to we wanted to be in an office area to uh, target the lunch crowd, and our third one, 
um, we also wanted to stay in Midtown, but I liked Midtown East, how it's half residential and half um, business. And I really like that um, that street, that particular street that we were on, we're on, which is uh, 53rd Street. And I think there's a lot of life there. Um, and with Greenpoint, it's the same thing. A lot of... Um, a lot of how we choose the location is depending on how much activity that neighborhood has to offer. And um, we look at our neighboring restaurants and bars and we look at the, the residents are like what kind of people they are and what, like how warm that neighborhood is. So with Greenpoint, I think there's on my hand Avenue, there's just so much diversity and so much action. It's really exciting just to, to hang out there. Um, and moving forward that, I think that is what we try to do besides the, like how much activity there is in the neighborhood. We also try to, um, like be in different, different neighborhoods with different vibes, so to speak. So like some area is residential, some area is more, you know, uh, businessy. Um, because I think the cuisine itself is such a diverse cuisine. Um, so we try to like, um, kind of have the location to agree on the concept of the cuisine as well. Are they all roughly the same size, uh, Amelie? And, and are there, are there one, one or two shops that are performing better than the others? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they're all around the same size. Our Greenpoint just happens to be the big, biggest one, but we we try to look at around 2,000 square foot. Um, so they're ranging from 1,800 to 2,400. And, they're do- and you're doing lunch, dinner. Are you doing delivery or takeout as well? Yep, yep, everything. <laughs> everything. Yep. Strategic... Are you, and you're doing everything out of each location, is there, are there differences you see by neighborhood? Is there like one that's just carried totally by delivery versus, you know, one that's a lunch crowd? How are you, how do you like manage that within the portfolio? Yeah, they are pretty even in terms of the delivery, takeout, dine-in. Um, it, it's about 50-50. That might change later, um, but so far they're pretty even. I'm not sure. I would imagine with green, actually, I don't know. I think with, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I, I would, I would, I would just say like they're pretty even to, to be safe. And they're all the same concept. Are you doing anything to systemize the actual food production and the menu between them or are you operating them all sort of as independent restaurants? We do. um, So next step for us is to build our central kitchen so that we can really um, just systemize our production. Um, But so far we are controlling our sauce, which is uh, we can make it in batch. Um, So there are, four core sauces that we put in our dishes and we 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 batch make those sauces so that is consistent although there is you know i just be honest there like there's always struggle in terms of like how much sauce this chef is using and how much how much sauce the 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 same chef next day is using and it's not like something that you can really control because of the nature of chinese cuisine like they never you know they have one wok one spoon like one wok spoon 
and they really just go by feeling. So it's it's been really really challenging to try to um, like um, systemize our uh, portion and our flavor. Um, so I'm, I don't really have a good solution. I, I talk to my chef about that every single day. And, you know, that's something that we just have to keep trying to figure out. They all taste good though. <laughs> it's they all taste that, good. Yeah. It's uh-huh. just that you know, when, when you're putting two things like two pots side by side and you might not have the same exact fla- uh, spicy level. You know, so it's hard to do that in the same kitchen, let alone across different restaurants. Across, yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. How do you control for that? Do you, are you are you going into each restaurant and taste testing and giving feedback, or do you have like secret shoppers? How are you? How are you sort of like normalizing that across the group? Yeah, so for me, I I really had to pick my battle. I think so far I've been, um, I've been focusing on it like the consistency within each location. So, um, and so far we, we've been doing fairly okay with the, like at least within this one location, you're consistent. Um, and sometimes granted there, there, it might change if we have a new chef or something like that. Um, and then for the, so the chef and I, we just make sure, okay, like at least, the food has to taste good, right? It doesn't matter if like a little bit more spicy or a little bit less spicy, it has to taste good. And that's number one. And next step would be to make sure, okay, Monday, Tuesday, like let's try to make things consistent by just really just a chef training. And the next step, which is what um, hopefully what the central kitchen can solve is to really bring it to uh bring it to the next level and make sure the measuring system um can be implemented somehow i think and i think it's it's i'm not gonna say it's impossible to be done but i need to know like you you really do need to pick your battle because there are 70 different ingredients in the in a on a dry pot menu and each ingredient soaks up flavor differently um so so but who like who's just like who cares right if you have a dry pot like who cares (laughs) if if this um, my tofu packet it has to be the same um, spicy level as your uh, sliced beef pot. It's it's not possible. Um, so within the, I think within our control and um, the being reasonable, um, hopefully with the central kitchen we can we can achieve some some of that. We talk a lot about like fundraising and how we make things happen on this show. So I'm curious if you're able to share with us a little bit about how you fund your your funding, um, scaling your business, and how that journey's been for you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, we we put in some money at like from friends and my family put some. My partners put some for our first location. It was very very cheap. We opened um, with three hundred thousand, and it was a two. Tw- 2000 square foot space um so um and then later on our second location uh was just funded by our friends who are also our customers and friends of friends who have um, been to mala project and love mala project so that was a very also a very easy process and um our our 
third one was funded with uh, cash flow, and half of our fourth one is going to be half cash flow and also just um, custom, from customers and friends. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. So awesome. For the second one, for for the friends and for the customers, were, did you have customers come to you? Were you going to, to regulars you saw coming in? How, how did you, how did that, so it's always a question that the chefs or, or front of house people are asking of how they, you know, how they turn a good customer into an investor. Oh yeah, that's a good question. I think for us in particular, we, we didn't really have to go out and seek, um, mo- we just reached out to a couple of close friends and and we were able to to get the funding together. But there were people that come into the restaurant and they uh, are interested in investing. And I think um, if you are really serious about like, uh, you know, fundraising within your, your customers, I mean, that's, that's a really smart move. We haven't done that ourselves, but I think that's just so intuitive, right? They already love your product and they love your restaurant. Um, uh, I, I think one way to do it, if we were to like craft fund, um, is just to send out an email blast. I, I haven't done that before. I'm not sure like how much, uh, conversion rate that is, but I think that's a pretty good approach. And, um and i i would say like the closing portion is pretty um is is the key cuz a lot of people can get really excited about um a concept and you know they they express a lot of interest but the closing portion might take a month or two months right and that needs a lot of push for people to actually like okay sign the contract and close the deal um to how to not get carried away and not di- just get discouraged or even maybe a little bit embarrassed about like asking hey can you can you send me my money like we're trying to sign the lease right um so that needs a little bit like of the skin to be a little bit thicker but you know that's you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's very hard to be like, I need the wire in my account now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, never very fun. And I mean, so you you opened the first one for $300,000, which is a huge, I mean, that's very hard to do in New York City, and especially in the East Village. So kudos to that. And I'm, I'm curious if like you use that sort of, it sounds like you've made each one different, but have you had the same sort of budget for each one as you've scaled? Or have you, you know, been able to save here and there? How have you how have you budgeted for future projects? Yeah, we budgeted our, our second one, we definitely increased the budget. But I realized I had a tendency to under budget and over budget. So with our newer projects, there were times where we realized, oh, wow, that was, I was just being too optimistic about like, how much money we, uh, <laughs> we can open with. So I think I even now I think it's just so hard to wrap my head around um the the opening budget now like you're looking really you, you have to look at like a million dollars to open a um a restaurant and um I mean for for our size that's that's what what seems to be the new reality um and I still I'm trying to like just 
try to save money and like try to see how we can do it smarter, cheaper, um, more efficiently, but also like make sure the quality is good. Um, but it's real. <laughs> it's definitely real. The price <laughs> increase. Yeah. Is that inflationary or you think just like change over time and just having a realistic budget or all um, of the above? I think inflationary, um, but also we we did start working with, um, you know, for example, our Greenpoint location, We that was our first interior design firm that we actually hired. Previously, we had a really close friend who charged us like, three thousand dollars to help us with interior design and we never had someone to um professionally to help us with that and then as we are expanding we realized okay now we need to step up our our game and um also you make you know by having a professional a really good trustworthy firm they just make things so much smoother and easier for us and we can focus on other things such as you know fundraising and expansion um so that's definitely like added on cost and in terms of our gc team we we do work with a a really quality um uh gc team and everything just adds up really really quickly um but I think it's important to like still have the frugal mindset. I think if it's a problem that doesn't have like money should be the last solution. I feel like if it's something that we can solve or like um, solve with um, a different solution, uh, let's not try to just pay and like go the easy route. Um, But sometimes you have to, again, like pick your battle, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover. The right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. Cool. Um, Al, you want to move on to? Sure. Let's move on to order fire. But just before we do, tell us what's uh, what's next past. Do you have a roadmap past Greenpoint? Yeah, we actually are working on our fifth one um, in the meantime. And we're just looking at locations right now. And um, so it's been hard to to get the space in the location that we really, really want. Um, and meanwhile, we really, I really want to take Mal Patrick to outside of New York. So um, as we're building the operation manual and like the system, um, I'm going to, I want to start thinking about scaling it outside of New York. And that'll come, that'll be my homework is uh, for January. I just did my art planning and it's, 
really, really exciting. Um, and I, I really feel confident to, to do that at this point. Um, give, cause our, I think our team is really mature and, um, I feel like the, the market is ready. Interesting. Hopefully it's somewhere warm for the winter. <laughs> um, all right, let's jump into, we usually do an order fires, which is what we call, uh, we do 10 questions in approximately 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be exact, but just sort of quick answer questions. Okay. Um, tell us what your favorite menu item is. Sliced beef and beef balls, or beef, uh, yeah, meatballs. What's the most ordered menu item? I think sliced beef and box tray. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the sliced beef is the thing to get. That's yeah. that aligns. Mm-hmm. Is it your favorite because it's the most ordered, or is it actually just your favorite to eat? It could be most ordered because I make <laughs> it all the time. No, no, it's definitely it's just it's a it's a great ingredient. It picks up the sauce so well. It's very very flavorful, um, and a, a lot of vegetable. Yeah. ingredients so we have a lot of vegetarian customers so those are like hot, hot, uh, hot sellers too um, uh, best food cost item Ooh, um ooh, let me think um uh, chinese cabbage makes sense <laughs> um what's something that you're doing to make your business more sustainable it can be you know in any sense of the word um, we are actually proud to have like almost close to zero food waste um, oh, since wow. day one. Yeah, because we we just use every single part of our our in, like inventory. Um, and with the dry pot, the nature of the dry pot, you really can't use. You just they just get used up, and we get um, fresh produce every single day. I think six days out of the week, so we barely throw anything away. That's great. Um, how do you, your growing business, how do you plan to hire and keep great employees? Yeah, we, um, great question. We are very, very proud in our retention rate. People, I mean, our, our staff, they're just the best people. They come in, they join the team. They, they rarely, rarely leave. We, we have people, you know, like since, since day one, they were just, we're a very, very like tight family at Mile Project, and um, I hope to keep that going. I think it's important to just treat each other as like just like friends, and you really don't have to be go so crazy about like um, I don't know. It's just human to human approach. Um, in terms of hiring, we specifically look for people that we like that have that same energy and same almost like vibration level as we do um and that tend to tend to work out pretty well and and people do get along pretty well um once we go through that screening process amazing um so you've had now four moments to build tell us about your worst building or developing moment or four opportunities i guess um i think the most traumatic experience was my first project when the gc i realized the gc was looking at our drawing upside down Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, they don't—they don't read English, and but like it, it's a drawing, right? I 
Oh <laughs> how long? How far into the project was he? We're looking at upside down. I hope it was um, early. Um, like early on, early on. Okay. So, so luckily, I was like, oh, okay. So I called their their manager, and <laughs> he did come in a little bit more frequently, but you know, <laughs> we made it work. Oh man! Oh man! So many terrible ways. Yeah. Um. Tell us your most influential role model, and that can be somebody within hospitality or outside of it. Um, I think Mark Cuban. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> love Shark Tank. Yeah, amazing. Um, what about your best business resource or advice? Best business advice. Um. Or resource like it could be a or book resource. or a website or a podcast or a person, I guess. Anybody that's been, you know, anything that's been helpful to you. Um, um I've recently I've been um studying a lot about flow and so F L O W. I think it's I'm sure many people are familiar with it. Um it's just a I guess a method to stay focused and stay sane. Um, so I try to practice it and I try to, I, I'm very, very, I almost worship my schedule, which is a, a concept that, that is introduced in the flow mentality, like in the flow method. Um, so you have your schedule like set up and you follow it to the T and um and it's it may sound very um like boring but it actually is very very helpful and it helps you to stay focused and centered um so I think if anyone's interested there's a lot of material on flow to, to look wow up. I'm gonna look that up I need to I'm like I need right that as, as we yeah. Um, one thing you would tell a young hospitality professional about the path to ownership? Mm, I think what, when it comes to small uh, mom and, or like, you know, individual um, restaurants or bars, it, it's, it's not very, very complicated. It's actually pretty simple math. Um, but of course I can, now I know when I first started, I didn't know that. And it was so easy to get sucked into all these different complications that you have to think about. Right. But I think once you figure out your core value, your concept and your center, and then you kind of, the rest of the picture is about like making sure you're meeting your profit margin and that's also very simple just by looking how knowing how much your ingredient costs and like do the multiples and making sure you are meeting those margins and then making sure your marketing is effective enough to get the people in um so i would say like it's it's important to always always remember your your core concept um, and that is not just your branding concept or your food concept, but also like why you're running this business. And that can apply to your hiring concept, right? Your main philosophy. Um, and everything should, everything you do need to agree to that core. Um, so if you think about things that way, then it can actually help simplify a lot of things. That's a, yeah, that's a great piece of, piece of advice. 
Um, last one. What is your why? Why did you choose to open a restaurant? I think there's no place, no job, almost happier than being in a restaurant. And there's like people, celebration, food, beverage, alcohol, and laughter. Like it does, it really doesn't get better than that. And you get to talk to people, deal with design and do food tasting, do cocktail tasting. It's really a rewarding career. Um, it's hard, but it's, I think the hardness doesn't, doesn't uh, matter when you have all the other awesomeness. I would That's agree true. with that. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Emily, for uh, chatting with us and we Wish you all amazing success as you embark on number four and number five. Um, tell us where we find um, Mala Projects on social and uh, and on the web. Yeah, we are at Mala Project, M-A-L-A Project um, on Instagram. Um, our website is malaproject.nyc. Hopefully that can be changed to malaproject.com soon. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, follow us on there. And I, I want to say you guys are just, you know, one of the most amazing brand in the hospitality world. I look up Aww. to you guys so, so much, really. I think you definitely shifted the way that people dress. And obviously you're doing a lot more than that. Um, so... Yeah, really, really. Um, thank you, both. Thank you. So that much. makes yeah. so much sense. Thank you so great. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's for that sure. That makes us feel so good. Yeah, and we're big fans, so it's it's mutual. Thank you, thank you. And we're right and we're down excited. the street from yeah. Park, so we will be exactly. in there frequently. Oh um, yeah, awesome. And you can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. Thank you again, Emily. Thank you both. Have a good day. Thank you so much. You too. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.